Hello and welcome to another episode If You Could Hide to Colob podcast. Thanks for joining in with us today. My name's Daniel. This is my brother Clive. Hello everybody. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. We're on 2nd Nephi chapter 26 to 30 today. So we're drawing to a close of, of Nephi's teachings, you know, almost into Jacob. We are, yes. We're really close to the end and it's like a main character, another main character along with Lehi who left us a, a couple episodes ago and another main character is kind of coming to an end. So there's a little bit to get through today. We've made it through the Isaiah verses and we're now into Nephi talking again. But I thought I might just start with a quick quote, Clive. This one's not too long. Yep. This is from a uh, essentially a church magazine back in 2009, December. And this article is Joseph Smith's Prophetic Mission. And uh, this is a quote from Joseph Smith. You don't know me. You never knew my heart. No man knows my history. I cannot tell it. I shall never undertake it. I don't blame anyone for not believing my history. If I had not experienced what I have, I would not have believed it myself. Okay. Well, Clive, I thought I would, as I I think I've done a couple of times now, but before we get into chapter 26, a background on where we're at, because we we can actually summarize it quite well now. Nephi is recording words that he's giving to his people. And there's a lot that we'll go through tonight that you can you almost feel like he's also writing it down for a future future people, us. But he's certainly writing it down for his people to learn from. So Nephi's recordings, first Nephi and second Nephi, is his spiritual journey. They left Jerusalem, got the plates traveled through the wilderness, got to Bountiful, had the tree of life dreams, had the tree of life vision. Both his father, Lehi, and Nephi had, and Nephi learned a lot more than just a tree of life. Certainly would have had his prophetic call in that time. They get married and they travel across the new to the new land. Then they split apart from the Lamanites. So the people of Nephi are separate. And the, the text goes into a lull. Nephi says that chapter five, it is second Nephi chapter five and 30 years have passed away and 40 years have passed away. And there's no recording. There's nothing that goes on until we get to Jacob's general conference. And then it's kind of on from there. So Jacob's general conference, then Nephi recording the words of Isaiah and him trying to educate his people. And Clive, I was thinking a a little bit about that, that what, what would have happened in those other times? Nephi would have been really hard at work. He says he built temples. He said he had to make lots of swords, so perhaps he's got some kind of army. But he would have done a lot of stuff right in between the time of the people of Nephi splitting and the time of this general conference. Yeah, you know, the, it, it made me wonder, because it, uh, later on we'll read about the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, And it made me think about Moroni and Mormon when they were sort of condensing all the plates and all the writings of everyone else. At what point did they decide? Like I said, Nephi says 30 years have passed, now 40 years have passed. Like, I wonder how much writings were in there that sort of, I don't know, Moroni and and, and Mormon are sort of tossing up going, do I put this in? Do I not put this in? You know, like, because we know there's a lot more writings in there. Yeah, a lot of prophecies. Yeah, interesting. Just an interesting thought that, yes, yeah, so much is going on and then just nothing and then straight into this straight into this conference. So, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Nephi would have recorded lots more things, but maybe, um, yeah, maybe when the books were, were being compiled, it was, I don't know, it would have been quadrupled the length of time, right? If the, the, if the book of Lehi was still in there, plus all this other stuff from Nephi, maybe it would have been, it would have been humongous. It would have been way bigger than it is now. Yeah, it would have been, yeah, the size of the Bible. So, I, I, Clive, I just thought I'd just start with that summary of, of where we're up to. And I think if we can imagine that Nephi has become an, an old man, he's 50, 60, and that's not old in 2024, but that's very old back then. Nephi's been around for, for a long time, and he's done a lot of work, and he's he's led the people in this city. And so now he's kind of parting with words of wisdom before he hands the book over to Jacob and then and then departs. So, Clive, if we move to chapter 26, and this is we've 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 got a whole bunch of chapters here where Nephi is describing things. He starts off, and and I'll I'll read a couple of verses out because he kind of it's like I guess when I'm reading it and I'm trying to understand so I can I can talk in the podcast today. I'm trying to put it together in a 
order in a, in an order of some sort. But it it certainly chops and changes just a little bit in terms of what Nephi's talking about. I almost feel like in his brain, he's got so much he wants to say, and he's just trying to get it down as best he can. So we start off with with verse one. So chapter twenty six, verse one. And after Christ shall have risen from the dead, he shall show himself unto you, my children and my beloved brethren. I'll just stop there. So that's halfway through verse one. So he's assuring his people that this Christ he's telling them to believe in, this Christ he's saying that me, Jacob and Isaiah, we're telling you that you need to believe in this Christ. He's assuring them that that Christ is going to visit them. So he's saying, you're not going to be left out. This Christ is going to visit you. And then in continuing in verse one, and the words which he shall speak unto you shall be the law which ye shall do. What does that mean? Is there a new law coming? What about the laws we've got now? But of course, we will learn later that that Mosaic law has been fulfilled with Christ. And that's what Nephi is saying. And I imagine Nephi, like Joseph Smith, just knows so much more than they're able to tell us. It would take a lifetime for them to tell us exactly what they've learned. But Nephi knows this. Nephi knows that there's a new law coming and, and, and this mosaic law that they're living is kind of go, going to go by the wayside and there'll be a, a higher law. And that's what he's referring to here. And this is, this is where then, so he says, so, so he says, Christ is going to come and there's a new law. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, for behold, I say unto you that I, that I have beheld that many generations shall pass away and there shall be great wars and contentions amongst my people. I was thinking about that, like three big bits of information or four really, but Christ is coming. There's going to be a law. And by the way, there's going to be tons and tons of wars. And then he cuts back. He goes then back in time. I don't know if you you agree with kind of where I'm going along here. He goes back in time. And after the Messiah shall come, there shall be signs given unto my people of his birth and also of his death and resurrection. And great and terrible shall that day be unto the wicked, for they shall perish. And, and and there's a bit more that I'll get into in that in a second. But do you get what I mean? Like he's kind of just, yeah. I feel like there's so much information. He's just trying to go, bang, hey, take this. Yeah, you're right. Because I, I always read it as there'll be wars and contentions among them, and then Christ will come visit them. But you're right. Verse one is Christ will come to you. There'll be wars. And while Christ, you know, just before Christ comes, there'll, there'll be signs. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, you're right. It is like he's got so much to say. And as it's fresh in his mind, he's sort of writing it down. So so he kind of introduces that. And then he then he then turns around and he says, well, when Christ does come, the people who have, have been wicked and who have fought against the prophets, this is a bad time for them. This is a really, really difficult time for them. Wherefore, all those who are proud and that do wickedly, the day cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, for they shall be a stubble. And they that kill the prophets and the saints, the depths of the earth shall swallow them, saith the Lord of hosts, and mountains shall cover them, and whirlwinds shall carry them away, and buildings shall fall upon them, and crush them to pieces, and grind them to powder. This is terrible times yeah. if you are one of those ones who... We're throwing the rocks against Samuel the Lamanite who's just trying to preach to people. This is a real challenge for all those people. And he's warning them. They'll be visited by thunderings like it doesn't stop. Thunderings and lightnings, earthquakes, destruction, fire, like the Lord's anger. You'll be stubble. It reminds me of that scripture where the uh, the wicked take the truth to be hard. And I guess if you're looking at that going, well, that doesn't seem very fair. Well, which side are you on? You know, if you're looking right. at that going, oh, no, you know. Is that going to happen to me? Well, I mean, which side are you on? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what he's trying to teach people, isn't he? Yeah. He's trying to teach, like he's, this is what he's doing here. He's trying to teach his people. More prophets are going to come. I'm going to go soon and there'll be another prophet. And then that, that prophet, I'll be the one, there'll be another one. The Lord's church will be, will continue. But it's going to be difficult for you if you're one of the ones that are angry with them and sought seek out to hurt them. And in verse seven, then he kind of changed a little bit. Oh, the pain and the anguish of my soul for the loss of the slain of my people. So here's for the people of Nephi. For I, Nephi, have seen it, and it well nigh consumeth me before the presence of the Lord, but I must cry unto my God 
thy ways are just. I, I feel like I've, he's calling on, you know, I think about his tree of life vision and how much he was taught. That vision goes for many chapters of all the different things he was taught. I, I feel like he's calling on that now. Like I've seen that this is going to happen. I had this prophetic vision and I've seen that all this is going to happen. My people are going to go and I'm just absolutely spewing over it. But I also trust that the ways of God are just and there must, there is going to be a very good reason for for that. Christ isn't just going to let people wander off and perish and the civilization is going to go nowhere for no reason. Yeah, it really shows his faith. He says that the anguish of my soul, but then also saying, but thy ways are just. So it's really just, it is so painful for me to imagine, but I trust the Lord. He has a plan. All my faith goes with him. Yeah. And then he, and then, and now he goes back in time again. So this is what I mean about that back and forth, back and forth. Because now in verse eight and nine, but behold, the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets and destroy them not, but look forward unto Christ. So now he's saying, what about, so we're saying, well, what about the good people? Well, for the good people, life is going to be grand for them. There's going to be signs. And then in nine here, this is where he goes back in time. But the son of righteousness shall appear unto them and he shall heal them and they shall have peace with him. So now we're talking about, again, like verse 1, that Christ, the risen Christ, is going to come and see people. He's referring that back again. So when Christ comes, well, what's going to happen? Well, he's going to heal people. and They're going to have peace. But then he says, only for three or four generations before that, before wickedness comes in and there's kind of the destruction of them. So, so what he's kind of saying is, after Christ comes, we're going to have maybe about 100 years. You know, that's what I thought when I thought of three or four generations. I don't know if you agree or not. Yeah, I guess I think of fourth Nephi. It's really short. It's one chapter, but it's essentially peace for like 300 years. And when we read it, I guess we, we sort of read it and we go, oh, everyone's peaceful. Everything's great. Everyone's getting along. And then 300 years later, suddenly no one's getting along again. You go, oh, what happened to you guys? Like, how could you be like that? But you know, really, that's not the way, you know, 300 years is a long time. And you go, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. And that's, yeah, that's essentially what does happen. Again, it's the prophecies that we're reading now that we can see later in the Book of Mormon. So it's a really interesting few chapters that we're going to look, be looking through. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't mean to, I don't want to read every verse out of chapter 26. That's definitely not what I want to do. But I, I'm, I'm trying to articulate that there's just, it. this is, it feels like just Nephi's mind map because then, then he changes again and he starts talking about the future of the world. This is verse 12. And as I spake concerning the convincing of the Jews that Jesus is the very Christ, it must needs be that the Gentiles be convinced also that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. So so how, how are the Gentiles going to be convinced? And again, this is just Nephi trying to put everything down. Well, he then goes on to tell us that there, there's going to be a book and the words are going to come forth out of this book. The seed of the of his brethren, including the Lamanites, by the way, will be at nothing. Their seed will be brought down to nothing. Then the Gentiles will come and the Gentiles will bring this book. But it talks about in a, in a really big way that there's going to be lots of churches. So the Gentiles are going to bring lots of churches. The Gentiles are lifted up in the pride of their eyes and have stumbled because of the greatness of their stumbling block that they have built up many churches. Nevertheless, they put down the power and miracles of God and preach up unto, up unto themselves their own wisdom, that their own learning, that they might get gain and gride upon the face of the, of the poor. So he's saying that there's a book that's going to come, but the book is not necessarily going to be read by everyone because the Gentiles who are going to come and discover the book, those group of people, they're going to be so guided or misguided with look over here. What about this book? Look over here. Look at this church. There's going to be lots of issues. There's going to be malice, secret combinations it talks about. So it's not just going to be cut and dry. Come and visit, come and check out this book and then everything's going to be okay. He's really saying the, the, the book is required, but hey, it's not going to be easy for them. Yeah, you look at all the different different Bibles out there now all the different religions, all the different religions that look at the same Bible as well. Yeah, it's a difficult time. But then Nephi goes back and he reminds his people that Christ is willing to work with anyone. Anyone who wants to work with Christ can work with Christ, regardless if, the, you've, been, if you've been swayed by 
other churches or other activities that you're wanting to do that keep you away from from following the words of the Book of Mormon. Because we move into verse 23. For behold, my beloved brethren, I say unto you that the Lord God worketh not in darkness. He doeth not anything save it would be for the benefit of the world, for he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore, he commandeth none that they shall not partake of his salvation. And then we hear about this verse about milk and honey. Behold, doth he cry unto any, saying, Depart from me. So he's asking a question. Does he say to anyone, get away from me? Behold, I say unto you, nay. But he saith, come unto me, all ye ends of the earth, by milk and honey, without money and without price. And it's it's a very descriptive words used here that milk and honey is a substance. It's it's a it's it's a foundation. You know, it's a, it's a great thing that people want to have back in these times. And, and can come with expense. But Christ has all the good things. Christ has all the things that you want, but it is without expense. And even if you've done, if, even if you've been in terrible times, he's still happy to accept you back. And you can still have that milk and honey lifestyle without having to pay. Without, there is no, this isn't an exclusive members club. This is something that anyone can partake in and anyone can have anything to do with. What I like about that particular verse, verse 24 and 25, is this is in my mind what really separates the Book of Mormon from the Bible. Now, me and you, we've both studied a lot of other religions. And really, I mean, a lot of, a lot of not all religions, but a lot of religions, they say, all right, there's God and there's Jesus and they're one person. But then there's the angels in heaven who God loves the most. And then he made people to worship him. Now, this here is a perfect example of the fact that God didn't make people just to worship him. God loves the world. And like you said, you know, he'll do anything for the world. In the Old Testament, it's, it, there's, you know, a lot of wrath, a lot of you're wicked. So, you know, there's sinfulness. And then the New Testament, a lot of religions will preach that Christ came down to the world to do his father's work only and to to worship God and to show us that we need to worship God. But it's little verses like this in the Book of Mormon that haven't been changed that make you understand that God's just not this giant, no-faced man in the sky that wants us to worship him and that's how we become stronger. It's he loves the world and he loves us and this is him showing that. And I, I really think that's what separates the Book of Mormon from the Bible. Right. Well, that's really interesting. Well, he and he certainly says, Hath he commanded any that they should not partake of his salvation? Behold, I say unto you, Nay. But he hath given it free for all men, and he hath commanded his people that they should persuade all men to repentance. So it definitely goes along with what you're saying there. Clive, the next bit I find really interesting, verse 30 and verse 31, Nephi now gives a reminder to his people what the commandments are. So he actually goes into the commandments. Charity is the first one. He talks about that in verse 30. And anyone listening to this, if you don't have verse 2 Nephi 26, 30 highlighted, definitely do so. It's a great idea. All all men should love charity, which charity is love. And except they should have charity, they were nothing. Wherefore, if they should have charity, they would not suffer the labor in Zion to perish. So Nephi actually goes through the commandments. So he talks about charity. And then he talks about that there should be no murder, no lying, no stealing, no taking the name in vain, no envy, no malice. Don't contend with each other. Don't commit whoredoms. He just, in these couple of little verses now at the end of 26, I'm, I'm, and that's what I'm talking about before, I'm picturing him towards the twilight years of his life. He's giving this lesson and he's also reminding people, what are our current laws? Christ loves you. So yes, in the future, the book is going to come and the Gentiles are going to come. And the glorious thing about the Gentiles is that the purpose of these Gentiles bring it over is to be able to give the book to the to the Lamanites and the Nephites and tell those people what, how good their ancestors were to bring them the, the, the truth. And here he's saying, so Christ, you can come to Christ. And when you do come to Christ, know that these are, the, these are his commandments. And he really steps that through. And I like that idea. I really keep thinking about that context. I know I've said it a bunch of times. But he is, he is writing this to teach his people, to teach them the right ways, 
and to make sure they've got a great record of how to worship Christ and how to be a part of his gospel. Again, it, it's interesting the way that it's written because he sort of then goes off on another train of ideas, a train of thought, and then it, later on he comes back. Like you said, it's a lot of back and forth. So at the beginning of chapter 27, straight away he starts talking about the great apostasy after Christ's death. You know, he wants to warn the people that there's going to be this this time of darkness. And the thing about the great apostasy, it's, it's always been taught all the way through the Bible that this great apostasy is going to happen. And like I said before, you know, there's a lot of religions out there that don't seem to quite grasp it or understand it. Like I was reading a while ago, there was one religion, I can't remember what it was, but they believed the great apostasy ended in 1995, not for any particular great reason, but because it, you know, the maths from the Bible turned out that way. Right. I think it's a Catholics belief that we're still in the apostasy, the great apostasy now, and it won't end until Christ comes back. But I was reading in Amos chapter 8 in the Old Testament, and this, you know, this prophesies of the great apostasy, and it, it goes well with what Nephi is teaching. It says, The days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but the hearing of the words of the Lord. And this is, you know, the idea that Nephi is trying to get across. Now, he's in chapter 27. He's gone back to compare Isaiah. This is the last time he does it, but because I guess he's maybe he's reading Isaiah at the same time as he's writing all this down and going, oh, actually, Isaiah 29, there's something really fascinating about that. There's the great apostasy. And then he goes back to what you were talking about, about this book. About the book, yes. About this book. So he starts talking about the book. And it's interesting because when he starts talking about this book, I wonder if he realizes... So he's talking about this book now, as in the Book of Mormon. But, you know, he obviously doesn't say the Book of Mormon because the Book of Mormon is not called the Book of Mormon, you know? But I wonder if he understands at the time that what he's writing down is going to be this book. You know, we talked about a while ago how Joseph Smith was translating and, you know, the stuff that he was translating was about him and we were wondering whether he sort of understood it and went, oh, that's me. It's talking about me, Joseph, coming about. And I wonder if Nephi sort of did the same thing. He's comparing Isaiah and I wonder if he's writing it going, is this the book they're talking about? Is it going to be my journal? I'm going to pass this on from generation to generation. Let's look at verse 9. I'm just going to read verse 9. It says, but the book shall be delivered. Is this a prophet? Again, this is another prophecy that's going to come about. So this is the book that he's speaking of. And then this is a prophecy. And we'll look into the prophecy. He says, verse 9, But the book shall be delivered unto a man, and he shall deliver the words of the book, which are the words of those who have slumbered in the dust. And he shall deliver these words unto another. And then I just want to skip over to 12. He says, Wherefore, at that day, when the book shall be delivered unto the man of whom I have spoken, the book shall be hid from the eyes of the world, that the eyes of none shall behold it, save it be that three witnesses shall behold it by the power of God, besides him to whom the book shall be delivered, and they shall testify to the truth of the book of the things therein. So verse 9, he's talking about these books will be slumbered into the dust. This is the prophecy that the Book of Mormon will be buried and that this man that they're speaking of is Joseph Smith. And then in verse 12, he's talking about that the plates will be seen by Joseph Smith and then three other witnesses. They'll be able to testify that these things are true. So and, why why is why is Nephi giving this story to his people? I mean, maybe he understands that it's the book that he's writing or he knows that it's going to come from his people. You know, maybe he doesn't know that it's going to be his specific journal, but I guess he knows that it's his people that will be bringing forth this this scripture, this new new scripture to these people. I don't know, because he talks a lot about the Gentiles and, you know, it's not just about the Jews. It's all about the, also about the Gentiles. And I guess he needs to understand who the Gentiles are and how they're going to, you know, how they're going to learn in their way, I suppose. I don't know. What do you think? I, I guess, well, I guess he he's it's a missionary tool. So I guess he's 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 knowledgeable enough to say my people now need to know this. But what about their kids' kids and their kids' kids' kids? They need to know this as well. That's that's what I'm thinking. Is he's, he's trying to he's trying to say the stuff I'm writing down here is going to come back in the future. Everyone needs to know about. It. We got to get we got to we got to write this stuff down. Yeah. Is what I'm thinking. We got to write this down because we need people to preach from the from this writings in the coming years. You know, yeah. he, whether he knows he's writing scripture or not, but I think he knows he knows enough that it's 
what I'm writing down now will be taught to people. And I've got the responsibility because I was taught it directly from an angel. I now need to pass that on to everyone else. I can't keep this for myself. My time is almost up. I need to get all this down so everyone can learn it. And it's not just wasteful of me when I die. And I guess going off that same vein, he was taught by his father who taught him from the brass plates. So I guess probably in his mind, he's gone, you know, I was able to receive my own personal testimony that way. If I were to write down the things of the angels and pass it on to my generation, they'll sort of have the similar experience that I had when I was taught from the brass plates. So I want to talk about another prophecy as well. And I'm just going to go back to verse 10 here. Okay. So this says, but the words which are sealed, he shall not deliver, neither shall he deliver the book. For the book shall be sealed by the power of God, and the revelation which was sealed shall be kept in the book until the own due time of the Lord, that they may come forth. For behold, they reveal all things from the foundation of the world, even unto the end thereof. So prophesying, it's the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, but there'll be the book that can be read by this man, and then there'll be a sealed part of the book that can't be read, but they'll be revealed in the own due time of the Lord. And we know that there's a sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. And it talks about there right at the end of verse 10. They reveal all things from the foundation of the world unto the end thereof. So there's a lot to come forth. And that's not even the end of the prophecy of things to come forth. All right, so there's another prophecy that we can we might flick back and forth between. That starts in verse 15, and it goes to verse 18. But behold, it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall say unto him to whom he shall deliver the book, Take these words which are not sealed and deliver them to another, that he may show them unto the learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And the learned shall say, Bring hither the book, and I will read them. And now, because of the glory of the world, and to get gain, will they say this, and not for the glory of God. Which will make sense once once we read the next bit. And the man shall say, I cannot bring the book, for it is sealed. Then shall the learned say, I cannot read it. We can see, just like we can with the, the Book of Mormon prophecies coming up, but this verse, this prophecy we can see in Joseph Smith history, and it's a really interesting one. So it's... Right, Charles, Charles Anthon. And... Yeah, so Joseph Smith, he writes down some of the characters that he sees on the gold plates, and he gives it to Martin Harris, along with parts that he's translated and just other parts. And he gives it to Martin Harris, and we can read about this in... Smith history, verse 64 and 65. All right, Daniel, we've heard me read a few verses in the Book of Mormon. Do you mind giving it a read? And maybe tell us a bit of the story. You know a lot more about the church history than I do. So if you want to it give that It was verse okay. 64? 64. Sure. I went to the city of New York and presented the characters which have been translated with the translation thereof to a Professor Charles Anthon, a gentleman celebrated for his literary attainments. Professor Anthon stated that the translation was correct, more so than any he had before seen translated from the Egyptian. I then showed him those which are not yet translated, and he said that they were Egyptian, Chaldaic, Assyriac, and Arabic, and he said that they were true characters. He gave me a certificate certifying the people of Palmyra that they were true characters and the translation of such had been translated. Well, also correct, but I took the certificate and put it in my pocket and when I was just leaving the house, when Mr. Anthon called me back and asked me how the young man found that they were gold plates in the place where he found them. I answered that an angel of God had revealed it unto me. He then said, oh, let me see that certificate. I accordingly took it out of my pocket and gave it to him when he took it and tore it into pieces, saying that there was no such thing now as ministering of angels and that if I would bring the plates to him, he would translate them. I informed him that the parts, part of the plates were sealed and that I was forbidden to bring them. He replied, I cannot read a sealed book. I left him and went to Dr. Mitchell, who sanctioned that what Professor Anthon had said respecting both the characters and the translation. So Mitchell is the other person. So obviously went to see a guy called Samuel Latham Mitchell afterwards. So it's an interesting story here. Charles Anthon... He, he gives record twice that the characters of uh, that Martin Harris presented to him were wrong. He actually writes in twice in, in a cu- couple of different years, but he actually contradicts himself. In one stage, he says that, that they were totally wrong. 
and that they he said that without any hesitation he said that he said that they were wrong because he wanted to expose the fraud and then in another occasion he said no i did give him the certificate because again i wanted to expose fraud so he kind of when charles anthon tries to tell people that no martin harris is lying he contradicts himself at one point he says well as soon as he showed me i told him that they were wrong and then in another explanation he said yeah well when i show, when he showed me I wrote him out a certificate so that people could that eventually would be exposed as being fraudulent. Right. So, so yeah. So Charles Anthon actually contradicts himself twice on the two occasions that he tried to because he was getting mocked severely, and he was being he was being thrown under the bus quite a bit for certifying and or playing straight into the Mormons' hands doing what he did. And the most important or the, the most interesting part of this is that Joseph Smith didn't even realize till later that this was all part of it he, he actually didn't realize till much later and he, he actually wrote it in his history in 1832 he actually wrote this out in that history of of, of what of, of what had happened but he was pretty elated when he kind of put them together that this was this was going on yeah i mean imagine that imagine putting the two together and going oh wow that that's that part you know now you can cross it off and sort of say all right that's that's been done well, yeah. I think what was really important as well was Martin Harris. And we talked a little bit about Martin Harris in the first episode of this. Obviously, he loses the Book of Lehi. But this is the linchpin for Martin Harris. Martin, once Martin Harris has this experience and and he hears from Charles Anthon, I can't get it from a sealed book. Martin Harris's testimony just absolutely explodes. And that's when Martin Harris is now just all in, comes back, helps do translation, and that's when there's a big rub with his wife and his wife was the his wife was the eventual one that lost the book of lehi but his wife then goes to joseph smith house tries to find the plates searches right through the house to try and find the plates wow. um, but martin harris is all in at this case and it's his wife i think her name was lucy she was very she was quite anti she was the one that pressured him a lot but yeah a great story a critical story in the history of martin harris and a critical story in the in the history of our religion that's for sure yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. They all seem like coincidences, but obviously there's no coincidences in the church. But yeah, they're all just, everything's sort of tied in together. It's really good. Uh, there's just one more thing I want to point out, one more prophecy that does come about in chapter 27, and that's verse 22. When thou hast read the words which I have commanded thee, and obtained the witness which I have promised unto thee, then thou shalt seal up the book again and hide it unto me, that I may preserve the words which thou hast not read, until I see fit in mine own wisdom to reveal all things unto the children of men. And this was another prophecy that when Joseph Smith had finished the translation, or the part that he needed the, the gold plates for, he returned it back to the angel Moroni at Camorra, and then they went back you know, into Camorra's cave. Again, another prophecy that comes forth, that came forth in you know our day. When I say our day, I mean when the since the gospel has been restored until now. There's a lot that we read about that's like, oh, this is going to happen in the future. But it's really interesting when you read something and say, oh, this happened. This has already right. happened. And we get the record that it's happened. So Joseph well, Smith returned the plates and that's where it says that he would. All the compare Isaiah chapters, I think this is the best one because this is prophecy that's come about in our time. And I think that's why, you know, even after Nephi had finished comparing Isaiah, it was great that this part was extra was added in. Well, it rolls nicely. I had a, I had a bit more of a look into 28. Oh, yeah. And similar to what I was talking about here, where Nephi, you know, he says in, in verse one, the spirit constrained me, wherefore I know that they must surely come to pass. So he, he, uh, he's almost tidying up what you just talked about in 27. Well, that's what I was thinking the whole time, that Nephi is just tidying all that up. I know that this is going to happen. And then he continues to talk about the book, actually. So he continues to talk about how much worth the children of men will have and he says here, and especially unto our seed, which is a remnant of the house of Israel. And it, it, it was more, I think I had this conversation a number of years ago about the, the people, the modern day people that this is for. And it's almost like back in Joseph Smith's time, I'm not a scholar in ancient, you know, American native people or any south american native people certainly that is not my strength whatsoever but the book is worth that the book has extreme worth especially 
especially unto our seed, which is the remnant of Israel. And so back in, back, my point here is that Joseph Smith's time, this is this idea that the Gentiles are serving the local native people is totally foreign. You know, back then the, the people were just in the way, it was high, high racism, and someone back then would, would think, what do you mean this book that we've just been given is to is for us to service those people like who are those people but when you read the book of mormon a huge part of the book of mormon is for the gentiles us to go to them those people and to educate them and say this 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 is here is a history of you and we are teaching you about your history and we need your spirit and we need your influence and we need you to be a part of this and this is your you are part of the house of Israel. And I don't know if you sort of think that that sort of same way, but certainly I got those kind of thoughts when I was going through this chapter. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a missionary, you know, when missionaries were speaking to people, you sort of, there's times when you go, well, if Joseph Smith was making it all up, you think he would have come up with something more popular at the time, you know, whether it be, God's delivered right, this true. book to, you know, the, the Europeans. Uh, God's delivered this book just to me. And it's about, you know, the the people that are popular at the time. How to you know, get that, rich. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, so it didn't do himself any favors if he made it all up. You know, is essentially how you try and explain it to people. Because you're right that it, it wasn't a popular idea at the time. But you look at it and you say, well, you know, that's what it was for. It really focuses on that actually in chapter thirty about the bringing to bringing the Book of Mormon to the Lamanites. So yeah, it's interesting. So he talks about so he's now talking future tense in verse three. This is chapter twenty-eight. For it shall come to pass in that day that the churches which are built up and not unto the Lord, when the one shall say unto the other, Behold, I am the Lord's, and the others shall say, I am the Lord's, and thus shall every one say that have built up the churches and not unto the Lord. And they shall contend one with another, and their priests shall contend one another, and they shall teach with their learnings and deny the Holy Ghost, which giveth, which giveth utterance. So he's talking about here, well, when this book is ready, the earth's going to be a really, really challenging place, bad place, difficult place. It's the book, for the book to come forward, it's going to be really hard because there's so much other filth and distractions and contentions and just straight up fighting and hating each other. And this little seed of a book has got to grow through this weed patch. And it's not going to be easy because there's not a lot of rain and there's not a lot of sun. But this little seed's got to grow in amongst a world of just hardcore weeds that are going to keep it down this one here oh the wise and the learned and the rich that are puffed up in the pride of their hearts and all those who preach false doctrines and all those who commit whoredoms and pervert the right way of the lord woe 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 be unto them saith the lord god almighty for they shall be thrust down to hell but in amongst this is what about verse 17 but behold if the inhabitants of the earth shall repent of their wickedness and abominations, they shall not be destroyed, saith the Lord of hosts. And then bang, so there's that one little verse in amongst how bad the world's going to be when the book comes. One verse about repentance, and it's going to be okay if you repent, it's going to be okay. And then straight back into badness. But behold, the great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth must tumble to the earth, and great must be the fall thereof. And what's being described here is how hard Satan is going to be working and how hard he's going to be working on people to keep them down. For the kingdom of the devil must shake and they which belong to it must needs to be stirred up unto repentance or the devil will grasp them with his everlasting chains and they be stirred up to anger and perish. For behold, at that day shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men and stir them up to anger against that which is good. And it just goes on and on and on, every, every verse. And behold, others he will flattereth away, and telleth there is no hell. Then he goes on again, yeah, and this is verse 23. Yea, they are grasped with death and hell and death and hell and the devil, 
and all that has been seized therewith must stand before the throne of God. I hope I'm making my point here that the book, when the book comes forward, it is going to be a challenge. The book is going to come in a world where it is going to be at best difficult for the book to flourish. Yeah, he really, he likes to do this a lot. He really likes to focus on sort of everyone, you know, so it's not one person's missed out going, oh, but maybe I'm the right one. Because, yeah, like you say, he's talking about how the Bible, one book will divide all the the religions. He calls it the Great Abominable Church. You know, he even says in 21, and others will pacify and lull them away into carnal security and say, all is well in Zion. You know, they're those people that go, well, as long as we all love God, does it really matter? You know, that sort of thing. And then, like I said, in 22, then he convinces other people, well, the Bible isn't even true. So he convinces some people that it's true and everything's okay. Then he convinces other people that it's not even true. And you think, yeah, exactly. There's just so much from one, you know, and that's why you really need the Book of Mormon because it's the, it holds everything together. In this teaching club, again, I always come back to why is Nephi talking about this? Well, he's really teaching. And this is where I feel like he's been commanded to write this down and teach us. Because to Nephi's people, they need to be convinced that there's a Christ that will come in the future. And they need to stick with the Ten Commandments I talked about earlier. They need to be convinced that in the future, a book's going to come forward. But right now, we just need to be one in Christ. And so this really doesn't matter to Nephi's people. This is the part that matters to us. Because I like this next part here where it's really verse 24 all the way down to verse 29. He starts talking about us. Therefore, woe be unto him that is at ease in Zion. Woe be unto him that crieth all is well. Woe be unto him that saith we have received and we, and we need no more. Woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men and denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's really saying here, you need to watch yourself. You, you, those people who just say, no, I've got everything. I'm okay. I don't need any more help. Life is not, that's not good. That's not part of the church. Woe be unto him that saith, that shall say, we have received the word of God and we need no more of the word of God for we have enough. This is not the state that Christ wants us to be in. He doesn't want us to be in a state of plateau we can't get to a state where we're like it's okay we've got enough blessings today we don't need any more blessings it's okay we're fine we're doing okay we don't need any more help because that's the point there where then where then satan comes in and he he's an uh, idle hands you know Uh, your idle hands is the devil's playthings when you're when you're chill when you're good is when the devil can step in and satan can really start doing a work on you because Christ wants us to continue to communicate with him. He wants us to work with him and try and, and, and be blessed and pay our tithing and, and open up more blessings, not just, I'm okay, I, like for tithing. I don't need to pay tithing. I'm sweet. I've got all the blessings I need. I'm okay. That is not what Christ wants us to be. I feel like some people treat blessings sort of like a, like a rechargeable battery where they go, I'll do good and I'll get all these blessings and then they're full and they go, all right, sweet don't need to do anything good anymore because I've got the blessings that I need. And then they drain and they go, oh, all right, no, well, now i got to go back to church, pay my tithing again, start getting these blessings. All right, well, sweet, got them all. And then they stop and then they drain again. And it's not really like that. It doesn't work that way. You don't put in this much and then Christ will give you that many blessings. You it's know, just a con- I, constant flow. But I guess that's how the devil really works. He goes, well, you've done it by yourself so far. So why bother? Well, verse verse 30, for behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth, I will give more. And from them that shall say, we have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. I like that idea that it's it's always learning. It's always, it's a two-way street. There's there's blessings, there's hearkening unto precepts, lending an ear unto counsel. Lending an ear unto counsel is a two-way thing. We want to listen and understand what to do next and Christ will help us do whatever's next. It's not just, okay, well, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I know what to do and I don't need any help. I'm totally fine like a stubborn toddler trying to ride a bicycle and I don't need training wheels. I can just ride. Okay. Off you go then. (laughs) Um, At some stage you need assistance and 
woe unto them that don't think they need assistance. And then we go into 29 to go. We've not been talking for too long, but well, 29, 29 as well. Yeah, I mean, 29 flows from 28, and they could have made it one ginormous oh, chapter, really. But, um, you know, as kids, we were sort of glad they didn't. But- Mercif- mercifully, <laughs> you get through, you go, ah, oh, 32, oh, okay, ah, oh, but don't worry, tomorrow's The next only one's 14. only 14, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it does flow, it flows quite nicely. So straight away, I want to jump to verse 3 of chapter 29. And this is speaking of those people that we've spoken about. Now, when the Book of Mormon comes about, people will say, and because my words shall come forth, many of the Gentiles shall say, a Bible, a Bible, we have got a Bible, and there can be no more Bible. Now, in my experience, this, most of the people that sort of know the scriptures quite well, they'll always refer back to the book of Revelation about this. And it's Revelations 22, verse 18, and it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, because Revelations was put at the end of the Bible, people believe that that's, this is the end of the Bible and there can be no more. And that's the argument that they always seem to use, even though they don't really understand the timelines of when everything was written, because the Revelations was written before most of them. So people will always use that excuse, why would I want the Book of Mormon? It's not of God, because we have a Bible, and there can be no more Bible, because it says it right there. And I really like how God is, it doesn't dance around things when he speaks. And I really like verse 6 and 7, because he gives it a clear-cut answer to that question. He says, thou fool that say... A Bible, we have a Bible, and we need no more Bible. Have ye obtained a Bible, save it were by the Jews? So have you, have you received another one except for one of the Jews? Know ye not that there are more nations than one? Know ye not that I, the Lord your God, have created all men, and that I remember those who are upon the isles of the sea, and that I rule in the heavens above and in the earth beneath, And I bring forth my word unto the children of men, yea, even upon all nations of the earth. So even without the Book of Mormon, I would, I don't know, it's hard to say because, you know, I've always had the church there. But I would seem to think in my mind, if we have a Bible, why aren't there other records in other nations? And it says it clearly right there. You've got a Bible of the Jews, but what about everyone else? I, the Lord, you know, I know everyone in this world. So yeah, why there should not? be more. Why, yeah, why is there just a record of them and them only? Yeah, exactly. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. So it's written again in sort of a different way in verse twelve. It's sort of like a chiasmus. This this chapter. So it sort of says one thing and then it repeats it again. But I just want to read this and then I want to read something by Orson Pratt that really goes well with it. And it says, so this is verse twelve. For behold, I shall speak unto the Jews and and shall say, write it. So that's the Bible. And I shall speak unto the Nephites, and they shall write it. So this is the Book of Mormon. And I shall speak unto the other tribes of the house of Israel, which I have led away, and they shall write it. And I shall also speak unto all nations of the earth, and they shall write it. And it so shall there's come, more books? Exactly. And it shall come to pass that the Jews shall have the words of the Nephites, and the Nephites shall have the words of the Jews, which is what, exactly what we have right now. Yeah. And the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes of Israel, and the lost tribes of Israel shall have the words of the Nephites and the Jews. And Orson Pratt, I found this not long ago, and it really amazed me. He says, The records of old that are kept by the people of Asia who have since dwindled into savages by reason of the transgressions of their fathers, and those that have been kept by the ten tribes of the north countries, where they have lived for over 25 centuries, and those records that have been kept of of the people of the city of Enoch, giving an account of the dealings of God with ancient Zion, will all come forth to help fill the earth with the knowledge of God, as the waters cover the great deep. So there... It says it in the Book of Mormon, it's prophesied there by Orson Pratt that there are other records and that in the last days, or or I mean, whenever God sees fit is how he explains it. So I can't say the last days, whenever God decides, we will get these other records. There's other records out there. So it's not far-fetched that there's a Book of Mormon of the people, you know, in America, and it's not far-fetched that there'll be records of the 
Asians, Australians, Europeans, you know, they'll be all over the world. Right. There'll be all these records. It says it there. It says it here. And it's just, it's just great to read that it only makes sense that there would be more. Why would God just say, all right, Jewish people, I want you to write this book and nobody else and hope for the best. You know, it just, it doesn't work that way. Right. Okay. So I've been going for a little while now, Daniel. So I might just end it here and okay. I'll, I want to read chapter 30, verse six and seven. Right. So this is talking about when the Book of Mormon comes to the Lamanites. And they shall rejoice, for they shall know that it is a blessing unto them from the hand of God, and their scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes, and many generations shall not pass away among them, save thou shalt be a pure and delightsome people. And it shall come to pass that the Jews, which are scattered, also shall begin to believe in Christ, and they shall begin to gather upon all the face of the land, that they may shall believe in Christ, and also be a delightsome people. There it speaks of, you know, the when the Book of Mormon comes again, it will be scattered back to the Lamanites, like you spoke about before. The Jews, they will also understand and believe in the things of Christ. And this is, again, another prophecy that we've seen in our day. And it's just another great thing that we can see. Well... Thank you so much for joining us. Do you have a quote to finish us off with, Clive? Are we are we ending? Yeah, yeah. I've got a, a great quote here from um, President Joseph F. Smith. He says, We proclaim the objects of the organization to be the preaching of the gospel in all the world, the gathering of scattered Israel, and the preparation of the people for the coming of the Lord. So just showing there that this is the things that we proclaim, that the the message will be scattered among all the face of the world. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your support of our uh, Come Follow Me podcast, and we hope that we are adding a little bit to your own studies. Next week, we finish Second Nephi. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next week.